0: Building is becoming more and more a commodity. There's a big difference between building a great product and building a great business. And in order to build a great business, you've got to have a network. So I would say go build that network first.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is your host, Robin Copernicus. And on today's show, we have Omsar, founder of Personify. This is Om's second startup. And we will learn about where he's going with the startup, what he's doing, some of the challenges that he's facing. Om, I am super excited to have you on the show. Tell me a little bit more about yourself for those viewers that might not know about you and how you actually came to start building Personify. Cool.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so I'm a weird cat. I started my career as a designer. I've designed everything from electric scooters for inner city women, automobiles, to like packaging, to IOT products, to service design. And through my career, um, whether it was at a hardware company, a software company, even a consulting agency like Accenture, what I saw was that we were really struggling across all the tools and processes we had to really explain how you go from like a finding in your research and observation to an insight, to a feature, to something you can build and test and feel confident is valuable for the end user and as well as for your business. And I felt like after finishing, uh, closing up my first startup, felt like I had to really go back to something where I'd have a closer like founder market fit and build a tool that I, I I felt was missing and there's a lot of like mystery around user research and discovery phase stuff, and I don't think it has to be that like jumbly, squiggly line. I think it could be a pretty clear-cut process you can get through, though it may lead to many ways, but that's really the inception of why we built Personify and like, kind of its origin story. What,
1: what, so what does Personify do? Who is the target market? So
0: Personify is made to make user research accessible and actionable for product teams. And um, the target market is really your product team. Cross-functionally, it should be your product manager, the, the designer, the researcher, if there's a dedicated researcher, marketer, and developers working all together. Because we've all worked in those teams in different fashions. And how many times have you heard someone say in the middle of a project, like, where are we designing this for? <laughs> and really, it happens more than it should. Um, but I've seen it in so many different environments. I was like, Man, I think this is a
1: So this type of app, just on the surface of it, even though as a marketer and as a founder myself, I certainly realize the importance of getting everyone onto a very singular vision. And this is what your app does. However, I think for many people on the surface, this seems like a nice to have. How do you actually get around this and make people really understand the benefits or maybe even the cost of not implementing this kind of system?
0: Totally. I think you'd probably... Read a lot of folks have read Marty kagan including myself. Like 50 of the features that you build are probably wrong. And just think about the cost, of time, money, opportunity cost as well that's gone into building the wrong features. And quite often, it's it's like shades of how well you think user, like how do you think of your user research, because it's not quite just asking an NPS survey, and it's not asking your users to design something for you, or asking them to like if they'd be willing to pay because lord knows how many if it was that easy we'd all be billionaires but there's so much of a dissonance between what people say they will do and what they actually do and the willingness to pay and all this stuff really if you're a startup or a mid-sized company or a large-sized organization really the, the scale of the problem only grows but it's just not been recognized As user research before, it gets called a lot of other things. How many times have we seen a persona get messed up with stuff that's not important? And you've looked at research and you're like, "Cool, this looks really amazing," but I don't know what to do with it next. It just collects dust. That's the problem that we're solving.
1: How are you getting? How are you convincing people that they need this?
0: So, let me go back to that. Answer that by going back to the uh, founder market fit. Obviously, working as a designer, I I have a ready-made network of design professionals and leaders that I can go conduct interviews with. What I call have conversations in the problem space. So rather than saying, hey, I'm building Personify, what do you think of this feature? I talk to them about, hey, you're a design leader. I'm seeing this problem. Are you seeing this problem? How are you tackling it? What does is, what is your workflow look like? What have you seen work well and not work well? And that's where i started the building of personify it was actually it was like a persona template that i put on motion and then i saw it get copied a number of times i was like oh okay uh then there was another iteration and then i realized that no it was actually not the user research synthesis that was really the hardest part the hardest part was making it actionable what does that mean it means marketers don't know what to do with it developers aren't writing proper use cases that are actually steeped in user research. Well, marketers need user sentiment and quali- qualitative data to really build effective marketing campaigns because there's nothing more powerful than what your user says, but they don't have ready access to that. And all the tools out there are competitive market analysis, they're built just for researchers and you literally need a researcher sitting there producing all the content. So then if that person's gone, it doesn't scale. So that's really where like, this all really start, started blooming, just organically as we ran tests, just with designing and concepting with like content first, and then having reality checks like, this is a really good blog or does this need to be a product, and if so, why?
1: Where are you with the app right now? How many users do you have? And, and yeah. yeah, like what is the state of the company?
0: So let's go through metrics. We were in an alpha stage for about eight months. So we sat on like a, a product or a concept for quite some time, collected a lot of research in a private alpha, mostly through uh, direct network. And then we grew to what we're at now about 500 active users per, per week. So um, weekly active users is the me- me- metric that I'm really looking at. And we're at about uh, 20% weekly retention. It could be better, but I think there's also a whole bunch of learnings that we had where we were originally targeting designers and researchers, but we realized two things very quickly was that, first, they're not the ones with budget, and second, this isn't novel to them. We actually had a lot of founders reaching out and saying, hey, this is really great, this has helped you so much. You should totally add a, like a tiered you know, price plan so we can help support you. So that's when we actually started in, Beta launched about five weeks ago, and we have our first pro price plan. But it's a free product, so everyone can start for free, and
1: it's always going to be that way. Awesome. This is a part where I might push back a little bit and it might even freak you out, but hopefully, you have a really good answer for me. Whenever I see these SaaS tools that are being built out, especially a SaaS tool that's focused on building customer journeys or, or something like this, this, is actually a chapter that I'm actually writing in my book. Is you have two different kinds of SaaS platforms. One type of SaaS platform, it solves the need just once. Mm-hmm. And then after it solves the need, the people don't need to use that that app anymore. And this is where you see a lot of churn, where people just figure out, like, why am I paying for this? How can I recreate whatever I've built here onto a Google spreadsheet or, or something yeah. else? And then you have these other types of SaaS where there is a continuous need and where someone's actually using it every single time. So they see the value month over month and they actually keep the SaaS application. Where is your SaaS position across the spectrum?
0: I'll tell you the answer where I'd like to be. And I'll tell you where we are. And maybe the distance. Why. I'd like to believe that because we're what we've done is we're directly linking your JIRA stories with an integration to research. Like, like all your research findings, your insights, it gives your decision making a weight that we don't see today, which is imagine you start shipping features rather than shipping features, you start shipping for pain points or core needs, and you start looking at your portfolio product based on a persona or which ones are overserved or underserved across your portfolio, and so that's where I think we've had very early conversations with product roadmapping tools and and other tools we where i see us succeeding is through these integrations becoming a mature horizontally wide product not necessarily feature deep feature shallow and I'll, and i'll tell you why nobody's asking for another file sharing nobody's asking for another dropbox people are asking for a way to see a unified view across all their decentralized assets into a user narrative that is actionable and accessible for like everyone to use as a foundation. So we do strategic things like if you're a developer, you can see an embedded view of a persona in Confluence or wherever you, uh, you embed it. And you don't need an account just to view the persona. But if you want to do anything more, then we'll activate you, right, as a registered user. And that's a better, like, retention rate for us as well, lower churn when we're onboarding the right customers. Where we are today, we don't have all those integrations built in yet. So we're not seeing the kind of retention in like monthly active users that we'd like to see, but I believe in this vision, and I don't see any reason why not to yet. So I think that's the waiting game and the distance uh, between where we want to go and where we are today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As founders, we have to make these tough decisions, right? There's there we only have so many resources that we can put onto each you know, different initiative. And this initiative, although it might be a worthwhile one, there's like other burning fires that you always have to put out. So you're always putting out these fires and then just inching along the way. Where do you hope to be in about five years from now with your, your vision?
0: So worst case scenario, uh, 1 million ARR, self-sufficient, just it's running, making side income, fine. It's helped some people. We're already helping institutions and students learn. So if students are using it as a link in their portfolio, I'm happy to see that. But more aggressively, I think we could could become an Atlassian, but for design tools, because the key difference is, in my experience, user stories, journey maps, all these fragments are really supposed to tell the same unified story, but nobody's done that in an intelligent way in digital tools. Everyone's just reproduced their paper concepts on a whiteboard in a, in a digital format. And I think there's just a ton of work we can do as SaaS companies and large companies are being pushed to build like, consumer-grade applications and experiences. It's gonna become more and more important. And especially for, like I, I say this very loudly on Twitter is that In in 10 years time, you will hear every VC ask a startup as a qualification question, where's your user research, who are your personas, I want to see.
1: Yeah, The way VCs are actually working right now, if you go to a VC, the first thing they'll ask you is, oh, where's your pitch deck? Then you bring them a pitch deck and then they ask you, great, now where's your MVP? Then you bring them the MVP, they're like, okay, this is nice, but where's your traction? And then it's a never-ending thing then after you get your traction they're like okay cool you have traction but where's your revenue speaking of revenue actually what is the monetization model because you did mention that right now it's a free product you have 500 daily active users which is pretty significant what how do you plan to monetize this are you already making revenue
0: so we are making revenue off of our content content marketing inbound stuff we are we have a couple of seats here and there in revenue, nothing dramatic. I, I would say actually less than 300, 400 a month, but it's it's a tricky thing because what, what we're really hoping, like our target market of who we're really gonna help is large teams, right? Where the user research doesn't scale. I've been at Capital One, I've been at Accenture. We have these relationships in place, but SaaS revenue doesn't turn on overnight. So we were building those leads we're getting those teams employed in our free our free tier. That free tier allows us to do a lot more on um, inbound marketing, email, uh, retargeting, and build those relationships. That's really what the, the purpose of the free tier is. It's not about being free. It's about giving us ample time to make those inroads. And then we've got a pro plan, and then we've got a team's plan coming up. And so each tier adds on those layers of value appropriately like a pro plan has project handoffs so if you're an independent consultant of one and you want to hand off a project at the end it should feel like a better experience than just hey pay me money here's the dropbox link right it could be a little bit better than that it could be celebrated so that's what we put in the pro tier but it's not in the free tier because nobody's going to need it yet there in the free tier what you need is all the research and knowledge that you need to get going on how to conduct user interviews appropriately, how to build this stuff together. And the best part is we don't force you to do everything in Personify. You can link to your Airtable, you can link to your Notion, whatever tools you're using, we're peer friendly. And I think that really helps us address a much larger market.
1: All right. Where can people learn more about yourself and more about personify? How can people get in touch with you? Yeah,
0: so our website, personifyhq.com is where you can find more and check out the product and uh, start building your own personas. And then you can find me on Twitter. That handle is Astronaut with an O, a zero instead of an O. Yeah, hit me up. I'm pretty active on Twitter
1: All right. Sounds good. I have one final question for you because we really get the benefit of using your experience from your first startup, which was Squirrel, and now you're building your second startup, which is Personify. So probably a lot of lessons learned there. If you had a time machine and you can go back to talk to the Squirrel Ohm, the Ohm that created Squirrel, what would you, how would you advise that Ohm right now based on what you've learned?
0: Building is becoming more and more a commodity. There's a big difference between building a great product and building a great business. And in order to build a great business, you've got to have a network. So I would say go build that network first.
1: I think I found my little um, teaser clip right there with that comment. So thank you so much. Um, Guys, um, this has been Robin Copernicus hanging out with Ohm. We will see you on the next episode.